We are now live on the Conversations That Matter podcast for a Saturday uh, show. It is uh, a beautiful Saturday, kind of a lazy Saturday afternoon here. And I uh, hope you're having a good time doing whatever you're doing this weekend. I know many of you will probably be listening uh, at different times in the weekend. Maybe you'll be listening even uh, on Monday of next week. But um, I didn't get to do one yesterday because uh, I was in New Jersey for the majority of the day at a doctor's appointment. And it, it was just too much when I got home. And uh, so today I thought uh, we would take some time, do a podcast. Uh, if there's any questions, please feel free to put them in the live chat. I don't have uh, this particular podcast. And I actually don't think I've had any this week open for the patrons to call in, which is normally a feature that I, I like to include. It's just uh, just been a busy week and I don't I, I need to manage my time with the podcast and make them a little shorter, like at least make sure they're under an hour so. Um, so, so this won't be a very long podcast. I just want to share a few clips. I'm going to dabble in some politics, some national politics here, and don't expect that I'm going to do that an awful lot. And I, I feel like I need to justify why I'm going to do it just because after 2020, what's the point, John, why even bother to, to follow these things? And, um, they're going to be discussed either way. They're going to be, um, even if you're a pastor and people in your church are going to be discussing this and wondering what's the right option for them as Christians, for them as citizens of the country and the region and the town and wherever you live, what's the best uh, approach? And it's uh, becoming a more complicated and difficult question, I think. Uh, it used to be a little more simple in some ways. In, in some ways, it still is simple when it, when you get to the general election, when you have uh, the, the Democrats going so farther and farther and farther left. And it, it's just a obvious you can't vote for them once they reach those levels. I, I was talking to someone actually earlier this week about this, and I said, look, I think there are some probably regions of like rural West Virginia or somewhere where there still might be some like pro-life Democrat candidates and so forth. But once you get to the national spotlight, uh, those people are weeded out. You just don't have it anymore. It, it, it's a thing of the past. Um, and, and it's just fundamentally a pagan understanding that they want to bring and force really on the rest of us. So, uh, it's not an option. And so you're only left with really the only, the only option, unless you're going to vote for third party. But if you want to actually see a candidate win, you end up having to support whoever the GOP nominee is pretty much. And so that's just what, what we're dealing with. And the GOP nominees seem to be getting worse and worse, at least. Uh, and I'm looking back even beyond my own lifetime, looking back. I mean, just men of character aren't really uh, around as, as much as they used to. And um, I actually, I had a conversation with someone this morning. Uh, I won't say who, but so, someone with some influence will say, who um, heard what I had to say earlier this week. If you, if you haven't caught it, I did a uh, an audio podcast. On Mondays, I've been releasing audio podcasts, not on the video, but I did an audio podcast on leadership. And uh, he appreciated it. And we just had this whole discussion about how there are men who are who, who would make good leaders, who are uh, faithful in the little things, let's say, like in their home or their church, but they're disqualified at early stages from ever advancing to the point of being national leaders or even leaders in national organizations uh, or even maybe even being professors at a at a college or something, even if it's Christian. It's just it's just the way it is. Um, true leadership, true. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking about the pop leadership, uh, industry, but true masculine virtue that, uh, is stands on truth and, uh, doesn't sway and, 
uh, stands up for the identity of its people and, and that kind of thing. That That's not really exactly in high demand in institutions. And there's reasons for this. Uh, it's, it's a problem that needs to be spelled out and then rectified somehow. But we need good Christian and conservative institutions that have some some credibility. Uh, it, we need to have um, even places of higher learning that if someone comes from those places and you know they have a degree from those places, it carries with it a uh, a sense that that person is going to be principled and that and they're not just a hack, <laughs> which is what I would say even at most Christian uh, places where probably even people who, who are well-meaning and don't want to produce hacks, that's ending up, it, it's what they're producing. They're, they're people who are good at ingratiating themselves to authority and power. They end up climbing the ranks. And, and that's what we get, unfortunately, much of the time when it comes to the presidential level. When you get up to the point of running for president, you have um, you, you have climbed the ranks uh, to a certain point. And, and I think it's one of the things people appreciated about Donald Trump was he hadn't climbed those ranks, at least. He, he, he climbed ranks in the business world, which has its own set of problems, but he, he wasn't, he didn't really, uh, he wasn't one of the people. He, he didn't like identify with the people in Washington. He wasn't one of them. Um, he he was an outsider, and they didn't have dirt on him. They didn't control him. He w- didn't have favors he owed to them. Um, and and I think that's one of the main things that made him attractive. And um, there was other things too. But anyway, um, so so I talk about this. I should probably I, I should probably actually give you the sponsor for this podcast, and then. Well, I'll, I'll talk about why I'm going to talk about this uh, to begin with. And then we're going to talk about um, I'm going to get into some of these actual clips. I think I have like six of them that I want to share with you. Um, just the popular clips that were on Twitter. People were sharing from the uh, forum that happened, the first uh, GOP presidential forum. But um, before we get to that sponsor for this particular podcast, TruthNigeria.com, TruthNigeria.com. If you go to the website, uh, it's got a lot of news about Nigeria, and it's sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted, which uh, is really the main sponsor of uh, this podcast. But Nigeria Truth um, is a news website, and it'll tell you, it'll give you updates in real time about what's happening over there. Uh, So um, right now, actually today on the 15th, Nigerian army charged with extrajudicial killing. So if you click on it, there's a whole article here. um, And uh, I'm not going to read the whole article, but you know, basically, it's it's talking about some developments within the military in Nigeria. So it says um, there's a vigilant there's vigilante groups, which of course this is the problem with the Christian villages. They're being attacked by these Muslim vigilante these these groups that are not actually law enforcement. They they don't represent the Nigerian government, but they're they're coming in and acting like they're uh, they're some some kind of like a a, a private military or. A, a, a vigilante group, and they, they're not accountable. And um, it says, for persecuted Christians in Nigeria's war-torn middle belt, their only hope for survival are the volunteer neighborhood watch forces. These brave community members, often untrained and carrying homemade rifles, put their lives on the line every day, facing off against superior numbers of terrorists armed with, with assault rifles. So you have um, you, you have these people who are coming in who are, are it identifies them as Muslim terrorists, but uh, they're unaccountable. They're um, they're, they're causing all this this mayhem. And then it, we have a problem in Nigeria with the government not actually being able to or doing its job to protect these persecuted Christians. And so it's winding up that these villagers are forced, if they want to defend themselves, to try to train their own people and equip them as best they can. And um, so anyway, this is a whole article about that if you want to know more. 
but uh, truthnigeria.com is doing good work. They're putting out, they're cranking out stuff um, every few days, which is great. And uh, they're doing the work, honestly, I, I was just on, on the phone with Judd Saul this morning, who's the founder of Quipping the Persecuted, and uh, he's the one that founded this website as well. Uh, they're doing the work that other ministries, quote unquote, are not doing in that area. And um, I don't want to get out ahead of myself with this because I know that there's there's more information that I'm sure that's going to come out about this. But some of the organizations that many of you might even support that say that they, they, they might even report on what's happening in Nigeria, this basically genocide against Christians, they are unfortunately, um, they're, they're not offering the help. Sometimes they even say they're offering. And it, it's, it's almost scandalous. It, it really, from, from what Judd's told me, equipping the persecuted is the group in Nigeria that's doing work. Uh, as far as a Christian organization and uh, these other organizations that say they're doing it aren't, and, and it's a real problem. So anyway, check it out, truthnigeria.com. All right, well, let's let's talk about this uh, presidential candidates forum a little bit. And let me just first say why I'm doing this. Um, I'm doing it because, uh, uh, like I said in the opening of the podcast, you are going to be hearing this kind of talk regardless. So even if you don't think it matters, these conversations are still going to take place. And it would be helpful to probably have something positive to contribute to them. Uh, the other thing is, even if it's a foregone conclusion, what's going to happen in 2024, um, this seems to be still the only mechanism or the main mechanism that is used to identify the leaders who will try to do something to resist it. So in other words, even if you're not creating a president, let's say, and I know some of you are pretty, you're red-pilled or black-pilled on that and just think like there's no point. But but there is there is there are secondary things going on here. It's not just that it's a it's not just running for president. It's also running for who's going to be the opposition to the Democrat uh, leader, whoever that happens to be. So th there is a point to it in that way. And, and I'm not saying it's all justified. I'm not even saying it's ideal or it should it should be the way it is. I, I don't frankly even like the primary process and how we do it in every way. But but I think that it's happening regardless of whether we agree with uh, the way it's going. And, uh, and it is informative. It at least tells us who to look to, to, uh, lead us moving forward. It, it, it's, it, it captures, um, at least the Republican primary who the conservatives in the country are likely to rally behind. Um, and of course there's more than just conservatives in the GOP, but, uh, but but that's where the only home that conservatives seem to have in any major party. So uh, so so I think it's important for those reasons. And so when you're um, I'm going to I'll just tell you, I'm going to participate in the primary, uh, even though actually I'm a I'm a registered conservative. So I'm not even a Republican. Um, but I think so. So in my house, my wife's registered Republican. I'm registered conservative. But uh, not all, all states have that advantage. And in, in New York, there is a conservative party. So. Uh, and they both have primaries. And so um, I, we're going to be figuring out who gets that conservative party's endorsement in the general. Right. Um, but if you're a Republican, same thing. And it, it, whether it's a caucus or a primary vote or whatever, however it works, uh, I would encourage you participate, even if you don't think the end result. Like so, so. So in other words, don't participate with the illusion that like everything is above board because we know it's not in the general, especially. But but participate knowing that you at least are um, trying to preserve or maintain or keep or or even promote leaders who are going to be more aggressive and better for the Republican side, for the conservative cause or whatever. So that 
that is, I think, a reason to vote that is not that doesn't have any delusions of grandeur attached to it. So with that said, um, there are several issues, obviously, and and I debated which ones to cover. But I I decided to cover mainly just the questions that Tucker Carlson asked uh, and this Blaze TV sponsored um, candidates forum on Ukraine. And I think that's become a big issue because it shows where a candidate's priorities are. Honestly, it's not that it's not about being pro Ukraine or pro Russia, like as far as their dispute and, and whether or not what, what should happen, what should the final result of that be? It's about what are candidates taking their responsibility seriously to uh, protect Americans. That, I mean, those are the people that they're they're running to essentially have the job uh, eventually of of being commander in chief of protecting a certain place, not every place, just a certain place. So it, it doesn't, you're not running to be the president of Ukraine. You're running to be the president of the United States, right? So I think this has become a big question because some conservatives are saying they feel left behind even by their own party when the party is spending billions and billions and billions of dollars in Ukraine, sending all kinds of money over there, all kinds of military equipment over there. And we have severe problems in our own country and they seem to be getting worse. We have our own crime problems uh, and our inner cities are, some of them are war zones themselves. And yet we seem to be more concerned about Ukraine. And it seems so easy to get funding for Ukraine and, and, and to send all this equipment over there. But yet to deal with problems actually in our own country uh, seems, seems difficult. So, um, so, so <laughs> someone says, please quit implying the election was rigged beyond the media participation. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've done several episodes on this, so it's it's not like it's the I don't know if the, if uh, you're a new listener to the podcast, but uh, you can go back and watch the episodes I did on this. And it, it is very um, it, it is obvious, when, especially when you look at some of the metrics of like, I, I'm not going to redo all this, by the way, for the, most of you have heard me talk about this and, and you don't want me to talk about it more right this second. But when you when you win like 11 out of 12 bellwether counties right when you when you um have more votes than um th- than you did even in, in four years previous and more votes uh, than the history of presidential elections except for the person who beat you there there are is some suspicions that's created by those metrics and then when you add to that um all the all the stuff that came out afterward uh and i got to be careful what i say on youtube here so um to just realize that, but all, all the the video evidence and uh, the, the evidence of um, of fraud that uh, in in various places in major cities, uh, it it just becomes pretty obvious that there there was even if you don't think and and I do think that I I do think that Trump actually did um, if, if things were above board he would have won the general election with the electoral college. I do think that is probably the case. But even if you don't think that, even if you think, oh, that's that's too far fetched, you have to admit uh, there was a lot of below board activity going on in some of the major cities and some of these swing states, especially. So anyway, um, anyway, not not to get off track on that, but I figured I, I saw the comment and, and I invited everyone. Hey, comment, comment if you have something to say. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about let's get into it. Let's talk about some of these clips. I think we're going to start with uh, the, the one that's being shared more than any other clip. And that's a clip of Mike Pence. Mike Pence is running for president. And here's what Tucker Carlson asked him. President, you are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse 
over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. Right. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right. And yet your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I think Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. And as president of the United States, we're going to restore law and order in our cities. We're going to secure our border. We're going to get this economy moving again. And we're going to make sure that we have men and women on our courts at every level that will stand for the right to life and defend all the God-given liberties enshrined in our Constitution. Anybody that says that we can't be the leader of the free world and solve our problems at home has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. We can do both. And as President of the United States, we will secure our border, we will support our military, we will revive our economy and stand by our values, and we will also lead the world for freedom under my administration. I promise you. Amen. Vice President Mike Pence, thank you very much. Okay, so uh, th that's probably the clip that's being shared around more than any other clip that I've seen. Uh, and, and that's actually from Mike Pence's Twitter account. I wanted to make sure I got his because he said uh, he was taken out of context and here's the full context so there's there you go there's the full context uh i want i do want to give him the benefit of the doubt when he said that's not my concern i don't know that he it's kind of uh debatable what he was saying there was he saying that the united states isn't his concern i don't think he was saying that because he follows it up with all of the, these he's going to make the united states better basically uh so what, what's he saying he's saying that i think what the narrative that Trump that Tucker is giving to him, the narrative that um, it, it's a problem that we're doing, giving all this aid to Ukraine when we're ignoring our own people. He's saying that that's not his concern. I think that's what he was trying to say, that that Tucker's narrative isn't his concern. I, I don't know. It was it was an odd thing to say. Um, and of course, when you're a politician and you talk a lot, you, you will say some odd things sometimes. But Mike Pence doesn't even seem to be backpedaling at all to try to rectify this he's doubling down he's saying that this is what he believes and he, he was taken out of context and um really though i don't think any of the, the context that he puts in there helps him at, at all because he's trying to say that it's a pipe dream it sounds like a pipe dream we can do all of these things and it's all vague it none of it's really concrete and i understand you have to have an overriding vision but you also need concrete ways to get there and i think he didn't actually answer tucker's objection tucker's trying to say when when you have when you're you're hamstrung by billions of dollars being put to Ukraine and you're already in debt and you already have uh, crime problems and illegal migration problem and you don't have the manpower on the border to actually enforce the border or to deport people uh, or to even inf like the dates for even showing up in court for your uh, for illegal aliens who come across the borders now I think in some cases are even years in advance so like it, these people are just left uh, at the at the very least for months at times to just be in America and, and then they disappear and we don't have the manpower to do anything about that, but we're going to be sending all this. It, it, it makes no sense. Let's get our own house in order first. And Mike Pence does it, doesn't he? We can do all this stuff. We can, we can, I guess 
put all the uh, resources that we have into Ukraine while also putting resources in the United States. Where are these resources coming from? Right. There's no actual concrete. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, it's it's just a lot of it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of, you know, rah, rah America. But where where's the meat? There isn't. And and I, I do think that this is bad for Mike Pence. Like I, I do. I do look at this and, and I I'll be honest. I immediately dismiss him in my mind. I'm like, yeah. And, and I already didn't care for Mike Pence. But but after that, I'm just like, why, why would I? Why would I like this is it's my money, right? It's your money. It's those who are paying taxes. Their money is going to the central authority to then do what? What do we expect the central authority to do? Well, protect us is like the number one thing. And that's what's not happening. That's not happening in our country uh, to the extent it should be at all. So if they're not even protecting us, then why are we spending all this money for another nation to protect itself, uh, at least in, in in the name of that other country? So uh, that was Mike Pence's, and, and that might have been one of the worst uh, clips. Um, we also, though, I, I just want to share with you some other clips from this particular uh, candidates forum from other candidates. So here's Tim Scott. Now, not all these questions are the same, but they're all kind of related to Ukraine. The third Absolutely. war very quickly. So why not force a peace? How would you we do that? Do, well, you could tell Ukraine, and they are a client state of the United States without American backing. There's kind of no Ukraine. We're literally paying the salaries of their bureaucrats. Um, we want you to sit down as they tried to do, but were stopped by our government. Um, and stop this war and, yeah. and reach a peace as, as one does, where both sides, you know, concede some of their interests. Like, why wouldn't that be in our interest to do that? I think the faster we get to peace, the better off we are. What we don't want to do, from my perspective, is allow ourselves to ask for a premature peace that cannot be achieved as the alliances continue to come together. Uh, to the extent that we can find our path out of this situation, the better off we are. So what's the point at which we'll know that we've achieved our goal? Just, and, and I say that within the context of having watched 20 years of occupation in Afghanistan where nobody could answer the question, what's the point? Yes. And no one in Congress ever asked that question, amazingly. So what is the, what is the specific goal here? Yeah, so I would say that the objective should be for Zelensky and Ukraine to be able to achieve victory by maintaining as much of their territory as they possibly can and then seeing the resources that we've deployed along with our Western alliances, achieving the peace that I believe comes when you get these two folks to sit down and have a conversation that allows them to determine where those lines will be drawn for the next hundred years. Okay. So th this just to me shows profound ignorance and I don't, like, I think Tim Scott is more briefed on this situation than I am. Obviously, it is red. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think he's actually I, I can't fathom that he's actually ignorant about these things. But um, but but the sound bites that he's given and, and it seems like he's awkward. He's he's trying to kind of find his way through many of the questions Tucker asked. It wasn't just this one. Uh, he he thinks you can just kind of get these two guys to sit down. And Ukraine, he doesn't specify concretely, he doesn't say like, well, why don't we try to get a deal where like Russia can uh, keep those areas like the Crimea, like the, I don't know, the oh, the eastern parts of Ukraine, like the Donbass region that have historically been associated with Russia. In fact, if you pull those areas, they all they all say that they're part of Russia they, they, or they, they look to Russia to protect them as their defender more than Ukraine. They're culturally aligned. Why don't we just 
why, why don't we create peace by letting those people this used to be popular sovereignty it used to be the thing right uh so we, we allow some popular sovereignty here uh, and we figure out a way to then ukraine keeps the rest of its right like he, he could try to say something like that now Zelensky won't find that at all to be a, a reasonable negotiation right and Putin won't find it to be a reasonable negotiation to say, hey, give back all the territory that uh, you've you've taken from from Ukraine, from Zelensky. So it, it's like, so what are you going to have these guys talk about? Like, you're just going to sit down and, and you're going to they're going to go along with your plan. What makes you think that? Um, I mean, have we learned nothing from history is the other question I have about this. I mean, uh, the Budapest Memorandum of 1994, the uh, Minsk agreements and Normandy format. These are all things that the, 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 the Russians and the Ukrainians have come to the table for decades and agreements have been reached. And generally it's R Russia. I'll just say it, it from this point, because I don't want to get I, I don't want to say anything that's like going to pigeonhole me into being pro Russia or pro Ukraine, because I'm I, I think there's enough good and bad. Well, I don't even know if there's good. <laughs> there's enough there's enough bad going on that I don't I don't even feel comfortable like taking a side, quote unquote. I know that's terrible. I should all be on Ukraine's side, but I'm not like um, for, for various reasons. And I, and I made a podcast about this when this first started over a year ago. So you can go back and look at that if you're interested. But um, the, the Russians feel that they make agreements, they come to the table and Ukraine doesn't honor them. And if that's the case, if Ukraine's pursuing being part of NATO, which of course they are now big time, uh, if they are you know fine with uh, all the you know the laboratories all, all the uh, Wuhan style laboratories that were in Ukraine before Russia invaded if they if they want all this stuff on Russia's border that threatens Russia uh, they're not that they see that as breaking uh, previous precedents and so forth and so trust is it's, it's like when you in counseling as a pastor right like if you have two people who aren't getting along in their marriage even, and this isn't a marriage, but like any relationship and, and, and there's a, a history of broken trust. It's not simple to just give, give some kind of like a, 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 to throw out there. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just, Ukraine could just keep as much of its t territory as it can specify. Right. And, and we'll just get them at the table to talk about it. It's just naive. Like it doesn't really present it doesn't present an actual plan, I, I think is what I'm trying to say. So, um, so, so anyway, that's, um, th that was Tim Scott's answer to that. And then you had, uh, let's see, there were some better answers I thought, um, from some other candidates. Uh, let's talk about this one. This is from Nikki Haley. Blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, I, I don't know. Do I'm not, I'm not claiming you did it. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Do you know who did it? Uh, seems pretty obvious. It was backed by the Biden administration, I would say. I mean, I think all the evidence suggests that, but I wasn't there. But I, I, I just, I mean, that seems like a huge step. This is the largest industrial sabotage in history, sent more carbon in the atmosphere than any act ever. And like, there's weirdly no curiosity about who did it. And I think that's strange. What do you well, think? There's a lot of things that are strange with the Biden administration. <laughs> this is the first one. I guess uh, what I'm really saying is if you were running against the Biden administration to do something like that and shaft our closest allies in the world, which would be Western Europe, and deprive them of the energy they need to run their manufacturing sector and destroy their economy, which it is in the process of doing, 
Like, that's a major sin to have done something like that. You just well, betrayed our allies, and no one on the right is accusing the Bidens of what they clearly did. So I don't know why. Can I just say, no one is ticked. None of these guys are ticked. Like, that that's one of the things that I think is hard, is there are middle Americans footing the bill for Ukraine who are ticked, that their money is going for this. Meanwhile, their towns are being ravaged by crime, um, and illegal aliens coming in and job difficult economic difficulties and yet to see their money and their grandkids money going to ukraine they're ticked about it like they're angry and legitimately so there's a righteous indignation in this and none of these can these candidates seem so out of touch with that like none of them are angry about this and, and that's i think what you saw there with nikki haley it's just like she she has this look on her face like and, and style does mean something now in presidential politics it's it's not just the audio and what she's saying on paper. It's the visual of what's her emotional reaction to this. Even if she doesn't want to lay blame on the Biden administration because she doesn't know, let's say, 100% uh, that they were the ones behind the Nord Stream, there should be like like an anger that like this isn't something that the Biden administration seems, they're not concerned about what the, the effects of this and the effect this has on the energy uh, sector of Western Europe. And how this creates more tension and more strife and people dying because they don't have the heat in the winter. Uh, it, it, there's no like, there, there's no like being upset about this and the possibility that we could do this. And we're not, um, and, and that it even seems suggestible should be, make someone upset somewhere. Right. I think that's how people are feeling. Um, yes. <laughs> Jimmy Starfish says it's not even our money going to Ukraine. It's our great, great, great grandchildren, people who will be born in 2060. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It seems that way. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. And some, and Jerry Henson says blowing up a Nord Stream was a war crime. Yeah. So, who has the, the facilities to do this? We've talked about this before in the podcast, but who, who, um, who seems obviously the one behind it? Who, who claimed responsibility? I think it wasn't a Joe Biden in like an off moment, like one of his off senile moments when he just even like kind of said that we did that. I, I, I think I remember something like that, but, um, I know the Russians think we did it. All right. So um, let's see. It says uh, the, this forum, this is Frank um, Blackwitz, who's uh, weighing in. This forum shows a clear difference of crowds. The candidates are playing to a D.C. crowd and are not in touch with the common person. And they should be in touch with the common person. They're in Iowa at a religious. It is a Christian forum of some kind. It's sponsored by the Blaze, but it's supposed to be this religious right Christian forum. OK, so who else haven't we heard from? Let's uh, do, go to Vivek. I think Vivek and... Um, and I think uh, DeSantis had better answers on this. Now, they I feel like especially Vivek had some not great answers on some other things. But but on this question, it seems like they did a lot better. And so what I ask is, how are we actually going to end this conflict in a way that advances U.S. interests? And the thing that puzzles me, Tucker, is nobody in either party is talking about this right now. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat that the U.S. actually faces today. And we are pushing Russia closer into China's arms by actually continuing to arm Ukraine. So what I've said is that I would negotiate a deal that ends the Ukraine war, freeze the current lines of control. Yes, that means giving part of the Donbass region to Russia. I would make a hard commitment that NATO never admits Ukraine to NATO. And those seem like unspeakable words in the, certainly the Republican donor class, but we get something greater in return, which is that Putin in that case would have to exit his military partnership with China and remove nuclear weapons from Kaliningrad, which border Poland and get the Russian military out of Cuba and Venezuela and the West. And this is a deal that Putin should do because he ends up winning. He gets things that he doesn't have today, but it secures American interests too. 
and, and I do think in a weird way, it does take an outsider to get that job done. Because if you want someone to fix a problem, you don't turn over the keys to somebody who actually broke the thing in the first place. If you want to fix it, maybe have somebody who didn't break it in the first place. And that's part of why I'm in this race. As well. All right. So, so that might have been the best answer on this question. Um, there was another clip I was going to play from Vivek that wasn't as great on American identity. And he doesn't he, he seems to buy into this proposition nation stuff. But I will say on the foreign policy, generally, the people who buy into the prop nation end up thinking that they we can our job is to spread democracy and Americanism wherever that is and make good Americans of the people in other countries or something. And that's part of our foreign policy. And you don't see that as much with Vivek. And he has an actual what, what did you see with what he said? It was concrete. Uh, we're going to give him the Donbass. Uh, we're going to make sure that Ukraine doesn't become part of NATO. Some of these issues that they've had that have been t talking points since the Minsk agreements, we're going to actually do something to to make ensure that both sides get some of what they want. We reach a negotiation um, and uh, at least it's something it's better. It may, maybe that's not even the right path, but it's better. There's it's better. OK, um, let's uh, and maybe someone's saying that maybe Putin would never do that. Yeah, maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> like I, Putin might not. But uh, but at least if you talk tough and you say like there's going to be consequences for A, B and C and there are real consequences. Um, and it's not just uh, us pouring resources into Ukraine like that can't be the consequence creating a slush fund over there. But, you know, um, I don't know. I don't I mean, I, it's I don't have I'm not saying I have like clear answers on uh, this either, because this has been this is a can that's been kicked down the road so many times. Trust has been broken in every direction. Right. But if you I think Vivek is right in this. If you do have a third party, if you have someone who is outside that donor class, he's probably right. An outsider could probably do more because there's it, it's a new commodity. Maybe trust has not been broken quite as much. Uh, if, if it was like a Bush, let's say, you know, tr trust isn't there. If it was someone, who, you know, Biden trust isn't there. Uh, but there could be trust with someone who's not a known commodity, uh, who is opposed by the people that you don't trust. And so maybe someone like that could work a deal out. Um, I think it's significant that this there was a, a war in eastern Ukraine during the Trump administration that we didn't hear about much, but it, well, not the full scale stuff you're seeing now. And I think it's because in part Trump was in office that was enough to deter. Um, and Trump has a little better of a negotiating, well, a lot better of a negotiating uh, kind of uh, temperament than Biden. So um, unfortunately, Trump didn't weigh in on this. It would have been interesting to hear his answer on this. But but that what Vivek said actually makes at least rational sense because you're giving Russia some of what they've wanted. And if you can pull back Ukraine, and, and that's probably more the way it's going to have to happen is like, if Ukraine wants to keep any of the resources that we've given them, if they want any good relationship with the United States, if they want to be trading partners at all, like you, you have to honor this Ukraine, right? Like that's probably the better, um, the, the leverage that the United States has. So here's, um, uh, who haven't we played yet? We haven't played Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis gives actually a pretty decent answer too. Single-handedly of America's foreign policy. Um, so with that in mind, I have to ask you about Ukraine. So in, uh, the spring, you described the war in Ukraine as a, quote, territorial dispute. You issued a statement saying it was a territorial dispute that was not central to America's national interest. There was an outcry over this. And then pretty soon after, you described, you seemed to change your view and describe Putin as a war criminal and say that it was central to America's foreign policy. Why did you change and where are you now? So the last part I did not say. Um, uh, I served in Iraq during the Iraq campaign in Fallujah 
I was attached to U.S. Navy SEAL Team 1. And remember, it started on what WMD. Then we had Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Then it was created democracy. Then it was that. And so the lesson that I learned from there is if you're going to commit to do military, whether it's aid or whether it's troops, uh, you need to have a concrete idea of what you're trying to achieve. And so from the time I got out of the sandbox and landed back in the United States 15 years ago until the present, I've always felt that. And so my critique of the D.C. foreign policy elite is that they are doing a blank check policy without telling us when we will have achieved our objective. And I believe that today and I believe that then. Now, because you dissent from the D.C. foreign policy elite, they then try to smear you and say, oh, you must be for Putin. I've always thought Putin's a bad guy. I still think he's a bad guy. But that's a separate question for a leader who's got to look at the world in very clear-eyed uh, glasses. You know that it's not all peaches and cream out there. And you have to make a judgment about what's in America's national interest. And so that's the position that I believe. And I also believe that I wish the D.C. elites cared as much about our border as they do about the Ukraine-Russia border. Because there's people pouring into this country. We have people dying from fentanyl overdose. The cartels are running the show. And what I've said is, this is something on day one, declare a national emergency, mobilize all resources, including the military, stop the invasion, yes, build the wall, but most importantly, authorize the Border Patrol, authorize our... All right, we're going to stop it there. Uh, I think this is also a really good answer. This is uh, putting the prioritizations in the right place. Uh, we talked about the Order of Maris uh, a few times this week, the Order of Loves, Augustine. And, you know, if you're, especially if you're in a position of being a civil servant, your first allegiance, your first order of love is going to be for your country, for that jurisdiction that you have. And it can't be for other uh, places. It, 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 you can't prioritize places that you're not in charge of over the place that God has charged you with. And so um, so I think this is a fundamental issue, even though this is not one of the issues that I think conservative Christians generally think about. We do need to think about issues like this. They are important. Uh, and it, yeah, people are dying. Uh, people's lives are hanging in the balance over things like this. But it's also just about protecting our national identity, our um, it's about protecting our uh, vital security interests in this country and our and making sure that um, we don't get too stretched thin that which is what's happened now where we're economically and, and militarily we're in have our hands in all these other pots and we can't actually uh, attend to the basic responsibilities that all nations uh, need to be attending to. So um, so so I think this is just one one issue okay one issue to look at uh and uh let's face it these none of these candidates are going to be probably that great on some of the issues that as christians we care about um in fact i don't know that tucker even asked them about things like gay marriage right um it, it, that should be a topic of conversations but most conservatives have just kind of like if they have any national platform they've just kind of given up on that uh they they think profaning marriage should be some of them constitutionally protected it's it's very interesting to me they think they're not woke <laughs> but that's kind of woke so like we, we have to, I think no matter what, if you're going to vote Republican, you're going to get someone who's probably not going to be with you on everything and someone who's probably going to be even somewhat compromised on some fundamental moral issues. That That's probably going to be what happens. I don't think any of these candidates are perfect at all. And I don't think um, 
I, I don't know that any of them are going to be for a very Christian vision. I mean, someone like a Vivek can't be. Vivek is, I mean, this is a funny, funny thing is he knows how to talk to conservative Christians, but he's Hindu. He's Hindu. I mean, as Christians, I mean, the official line on Hinduism is they worship demons. That's that's the official line on Hinduism. It's not we're trying to be mean. It's just that's been the longstanding understanding of what that is. It's idolatry. Um, it is certainly not. Uh, but but he tries to like put it in this abstract realm where he's like, well, I'm about American values. Right. And, and that kind of thing. And uh, so so he he's good on this question. Um, but can he be good on some of the other things? Maybe not as much. And so. We have to exercise a lot of wisdom. That's going to be the thing uh, with all of this. We have to exercise a lot of wisdom. And uh, this is I'm hopefully just helping you get that process started as we examine um, some of these candidates. So uh, here's a reaction. I thought this was really good. And by the way, foreshadowing, I'm going to have this individual, Aaron McIntyre, on the podcast next week. So if you have questions for Aaron McIntyre, if you're a patron, uh, please uh, message me through Patreon. Let me know what kind of questions you have for Aaron. Aaron works at the blaze and, um, and so I'm excited to have him on next week, but he had this great reaction. He was hosting, uh, part of the, the candidates forum. And this is what he said about Mike Pence. I was moved because I want a president that looks at me the way that Mike Pence looks at a Ukrainian. <laughs> I want a president who loves me the way that Mike Pence loves a random Ukrainian he meets when he's over there. That story about yes. the Stinger missiles. Yeah. Man, I wish I was telling that story about the lives of children and family members saved because the border is secure. Mm -hmm. I wish I was hearing that story because the... It, it gets better. Uh, well, I don't know if it gets better, but it gets good uh, as he keeps going on there. But he, his whole point is uh, that he, he wished that these candidates... It's like the way they look at Ukraine is, is like, it's so, it's so weird. If you really think about it, it is so weird. Um, it's not weird to be concerned about people in another country, right? We just talked about Nigeria on this podcast. It's not weird. And these are brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We actually have a connection because of a spiritual thing here. Um, but it, it is kind of weird when you like, like put it on a family level. If you're like, you know, there's a, there's a family that's, um, or a, an area like like there's a inner city area let's say or or an app we i live on the border of kind of the northernmost reaches of appalachia and there's there's some poverty so let's say an area like that and to say you know i'm concerned for those people okay sure good um so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna take my hard-earned money and um and not just my hard-earned money i'm gonna take my children's inheritance and i'm gonna spend it on trying to help those people even though I'm not really even going over there, I'm not doing it firsthand. I'm paying someone else to do it. Uh, it's not in my backyard. I, it's not the jurisdiction God's given me. It's not my responsibility directly, but that's what I'm going to do because they're in a plight. And it's like, if you can provide for your family and you can then with a little extra, you can, you can help another family. That's great. We should all do that. But where's your priority? It's going to be it has to be to your family. It can't be selling off their uh, th their inheritance for people on the other side of the world. That's really weird. If we saw that on an individual level, we would say that that's a really negligent parent or that that parents got some kind of a savior complex. Like they're they're taking their paternal and maternal instincts and they're they're applying them to people who they're not parents of. Right. We, that's what we would say. Like that's that's really weird. But it's. It, it is strange that in national politics, that is the default setting. 
of our elites. They automatically feel this way about people who they didn't come from, who they, they, they have this love for, for difference. Um, I think, was it Roger Scruton? Someone called it oikonophobia, but this like aversion to home, this aversion to your own people and this preference for those who are different. It's very strange, but that's what we have. And, and I don't know that any other countries like outside the West have this. India is about India. China is about China. China. Like, um, it's just weird that we're this way. And does it come from a guilt? There, there's something wrong there. Put in the info sec or the comments uh, section what you think, why you think that is. But there is some kind of like a, a hang up that we have. Okay, well, um, that's the podcast for today. Uh, like I said, check out uh, the website, truthnigeria.com. Uh, thanks for hanging out this Saturday afternoon. God bless. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.